Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. The first time we met, you want me to go? Sure. So I met Jay actually when I was at Howard. We had a mutual friend um, and I saw her at a party and my mutual friend just told me who she was. Um, at that time, I of course was not interested in dating and she was actually in a relationship, but we remained to be friends the entire time throughout uh, me being at Howard um, and into adulthood. Like we partied a lot together just as very platonic friends. Like literally, probably for about 10 years. It was 10 years, yes. <laughs> 10 years before. So that would have been. In 2010, no, in 1998. It had to be 1998. Yes. My sister and I had a pool party to celebrate our birthday. Um, and Jay was there and we kind of like reconnected. We ended up having a very like long conversation in the pool. I could tell then that Jay was kind of into me. See, this is where it goes awry. <laughs> this is where it all goes awry. She was flirting. I was not. She was definitely flirting, definitely. But we had a great conversation and I'll, I'll take it from here. Go ahead. We had a great conversation and it was actually the first time in that time period that we knew each other where we had a conversation that was more than just high and by. She was going off to Boston the mm -hmm. following year to do a program for um, emerging educators, leaders, uh, leaders in education. And then she was moving back to DC. She lived in Chicago at the time. So she was moving back to DC and Months in advance, she invited me to brunch when she came back. Well, because I was moving back to DC, I had to establish my friendships over again because I was in Chicago for four years. So I was just on Facebook randomly selecting people and I invited Jay to go to brunch. And we actually, like very shortly after I got back, we went to um, brunch together. We probably got, I was late. She didn't leave. She waited for me. So we sat there probably for about five hours and talked. a long time. Like literally talked nonstop for five hours. And we've spoken every day since then. Okay, no. to be perfectly honest, I never would have thought that Jay would have dated me. I was selecting brunch mates to establish like friends again because, you know, I had been gone for four years. Um, so when I invited her to brunch, it it was so platonic like i had no idea that it would lead to us dating because I, when i met her in college she was always someone who was like um kind of like who's who in our community <laughs> so if there was always this intrigue around her and like knowing her and things of that nature so when i invited her to brunch i was like ooh, like, i'm gonna go to brunch with jay not like a romantic like i'm going to brunch with jay but like a ooh, like i'm going to brunch with like who's who but then at brunch we had our like first real conversation and i realized like how down to earth she was and how much we actually had in common um and then from there we kind of it I, literally from that moment we talked every single day since it was a very nerdy conversation it was it was great actually we had a debate about which uh was heavier 
uh, health disparities or the achievement gap. And that is what kept us there for five hours. I think I fell in love with like the intellectual stimulation. Like the conversation we were having, it wasn't romantic. It was super nerdy, but it was like very intense. And both of us had to bring like a certain level of content knowledge to the table. And just knowing that she was that brilliant, that smart, I was kind of like, ooh, okay. Kind of felt like I met my match. But then mm -hmm. I stuck with it to see kind of like, you know, how it all unfold. But the intellect then the stimulation, that is what did it for me. Yeah, it was it was very uh, attractive that we were having this this debate and she was holding her own and we were kind of going back and forth. By the end of it, I was eating off her plate and she was eating off mine. So it was that kind of conversation. I am an elementary school principal. I'm actually the founding principal of um, the school that I'm currently the principal of. I used to be a high school math teacher. Um, and then I moved, matriculated through the system and became an instructional coach, then an assistant principal, and now the founding principal of an elementary school here in DC. My school is in War 7, which is one of the high, highest poverty areas in DC. Highest crime rate, highest teen pregnancy. Um, so the scholars at my school really um, don't have quality options, not a lot of them. So my school is strategically located in Ward 7 to provide the education that, you know, my kids deserve. Um, there are like two to three schools in our community that provide a quality option, but not enough for the amount of kids in the community. So I've spent my entire career in education and particularly urban education. And she is very good at it. She um, recently got recognition from, from the mayor in, the, in D.C. for tier one status, <laughs> which is just high performing. It's an indicator of a high performing school, which I'm very proud of her for. <laughs> but anywho, so I am a perinatologist and uh, a perinatologist is a high risk obstetrician. So I went through an OBGYN residency and then three years of fellowship. Currently, the director of perinatology at St. Agnes Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. I was actually a resident principal at a, um, another charter school here in DC. And Jay was already a perinatologist. And in that role. Uh, but I think the most interesting thing about the brunch is because I've been in education my entire career, you don't realize how like other aspects impact like what's going on in schools. So Jay brought in a very interesting perspective around like healthcare and the lack of prenatal care and African-American babies being born prematurely at an alarming rate, which causes some of the things that I'm seeing in my school. Um, so being able to kind of draw that connection to our work and to like the very important work that we're both trying to do. Very interesting because you never even think about how the medical kind of feel plays into kids every single day at school. Well, we um, started to spend a lot more time together. It was a little complicated in a, in a sense that I was at the end of a relationship and we still shared a lot. And uh, so it was um, a time where we were very private in um, dating each other. Yeah, so 
but we still talked every single day. We were together all day, every part of the weekend. And while we were like trying to privately date, I mean, we were all over the place in DC. We were. Every restaurant. <laughs> theaters, parks, everything. It was really an, a, an amazing time because, you know, I had just moved back to DC and literally I was learning the city completely. I was experiencing the um, city completely differently. So we talked every day, hung out every day, saw each other every day, and really just started like super, super intensely dating. At some point in there though, I told Jay that it, I, didn't, I didn't think we should hang out every day because I knew <laughs> that we were in Georgetown we're walking along the water and I say, you know, our relationship is getting kind of intense because I'm still thinking that we would never be like together long term. So I say, you know, I really think we should like not spend as much time together because our, this is getting very intense. And she was upset, like upset. We went back to the parking garage. She like dropped me off at my car and like sped off. And I'm like, dramatic. whoa, like, what did I say? That's dramatic. And I was literally just trying to say like, yo, unless we're going to like spend the rest of our lives together, because that's where I could see it going. Like, we have to chill out. You didn't say that. You didn't say it that way. Yeah. I kind of did. Well, she she did say, you know, that we shouldn't see each other anymore because while we were seeing each other and hanging out, we continued to say, well, we're not dating and we're, you know, this is not anything. We're just hanging out. And then we had a beautiful day in Georgetown. And this is how she decides to wrap up the day. <laughs> and yes, I curtly dropped her off, but the speeding off was a little dramatic. But yeah, it was curt. I didn't even have like my whole body out the car. Yeah. And she just sped off. So then after that, you know, I called her and we were texting back and forth and I'm like, yo, I wasn't like trying to offend you. I was more so just trying to say like, look, this is getting super intense. Um, and then the very next day we were sitting on the rooftop in Marvin's. It was the same day. It was, was that the same the day? I texted her and I was like, meet me at the rooftop. It was the same day. So then we sat there for hours and then kind of decided like, hey, we like each other. There's something between us, something that we obviously could not like let go. So let's just date. And then we dated. Yeah. And then we got married and had children. <laughs> <laughs> Probably like a year and a half. Yes, we dated a year and a half. And, and then I proposed at the same place where we had brunch. She did. That was that was great. She um, so this was. Oh, what was that? Two thousand and eleven or twelve? Yeah. Yeah. So we started dating in two thousand and ten. No, two thousand and ten. Two thousand eight. I lived in Chicago. Two thousand and ten. Okay, so two thousand and ten. So it had to be two thousand and eleven or twelve. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Around that time. My brain only thinks in school years. So I don't understand like calendar years. So I'm like, we started dating in the 10, 11 school year. So I had to propose in like the 11, 12, 12, 13 school year. Right. So <laughs> we, um, we were living together by then. And I think this is how it went down. So well, she, she just said, all right, let's. I had block your day, uh, and I did, and she was like, okay. Everything was a surprise, I think. Mm -hmm. I so I took her to get her hair done, and then I took her to get like oh, her nails up. done. Back up, back up, back up. 
I'm getting dressed. And she goes, you sure you want to put that on? (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, you, you just change here. Why don't you put on something like this? And I thought it was weird, but I said, okay. But I knew she would kill me later if she looked at the pictures and she did not have on like something that was like appropriate to the occasion. So I made her get a little dressed up, um, took her to get her hair done, took her to get her nails done. And then we just went out to eat like it was a typical um, Saturday. And we were at Mrs. K's Toll House and we had the top of the restaurant literally all to ourselves. So we're eating, we're eating, and I eventually get the nerve to propose, which was really great because we were just sitting in this huge restaurant by ourselves. I knew, but she didn't, that all of our friends were downstairs in the wine cellar. So after I proposed, we immediately went to like a party with all of our friends who were downstairs um, waiting for us. Um, And it was really awesome. It was like propose and then here's the engagement party like right away. And they all, of course, knew what was going on upstairs. So many details missed. Okay, so all of that is true. We did, you know, go get my hair done. I thought it was weird. Like it was just a weird day. She actually sat in the salon with me you know, for a long period of time and she doesn't sit still really for anything. And so I thought it was odd, but I was like, okay, this is great, you know? And so then we did go, she was like, you wanna go to brunch? And I was like, sure. And Mrs. K's Tall House is in Silver Spring, Maryland. It is where we had our first date and we walk in and I did think it was odd, but we had the whole kind of restaurant just about to ourselves and I looked down on these beautiful gardens and we were in the corner and everything was windows. And while we were waiting, there was a wedding reception that a wedding party was coming in. And I was like, oh, look at them, you know, so nice. And their wedding party actually ended up being behind us. And I would peep back because there was a crack. And I was like, oh, <laughs> their wedding party was great. We had the same waiter that waited on us for our first date. I don't know if that was just a coincidence or if she knew, I don't know, but it was him. And we're like, oh, you waited on us. And I'm I'm starving and I'm shoving bread in my mouth. She's gotten up several times. She's on her phone. And I learned later she was talking to her big sister because she was getting cold feet. Not cold feet, she was nervous. And I think, you know, she was calming her down, but I didn't know that. Oh my God, I'm starving. And she's chatting, saying stuff like, uh, you know, I want this to be forever and I'm shoving bread in my mouth like wondering where the waiter is and I'm just like do you want it to be forever and I'm like yeah of course it's waiter then she goes well something to the effect of well I want this the the rest of my life I said do you want to wake up and see my face every day for the the rest rest of your life? life that's it that's it and then I'm like, okay. So I'm literally shoving bread in my mouth. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And I, I look over and she has the ring. And she's, I think you said, because I want to wake up to your face for the rest of the, uh, every day for the rest of my life. And then uh, it was the restaurant new. So right. they, they come with cake and all this other kind of stuff. And it was just that was great. great. Oh, we started texting. Our, well, I'm texting after the engagement. I'm texting my friends. Nobody's answering me. Because they're all like, in the basement. <laughs> I just got engaged. I text my closest friends. Nobody's answering me. And she's like, well, why don't we just go downstairs and, and have a drink? And there they were. So it was great. Yeah, it was in so, April. I think it was April 29th, 
2012. April 29, 2012. Yes. So five years ago. And then we got um, we got married June 29th, 2013. We were pregnant January 2014. We had Evan and Ian September 2014. We're 10 years apart. So 11. I was 11. 10. <laughs> so I was 30. Hold on, my now. Wait, was that 28? You were 28 when we, um, at your birthday party where we talked. Oh, right. So I might have been like 30. Because right. I was 32 when we got married. Right. So I might have been 30, 31. And I was 40, 41. Yeah. I actually didn't want to get married. Mm-hmm. I never even considered like marriage as like a thing. Um, especially not because then gay marriage wasn't even like legal at that time. It might have been like NBC, but it wasn't like nationally recognized. So I had never even considered getting married. Now I always wanted to have children. I don't know how my brain skipped over marriage to get there, probably because our relationship is considered like unconventional, but I had never considered getting married. I hadn't either. I'm not sure why. It just wasn't on my radar. And probably the fact that it wasn't legal and it was taboo, so to speak, just never made me think that it was possible. I think once we started talking about like having a family and having children and thinking about like the environment that we want them to be raised in, um, I think marriage came up then because we didn't want our children to, you know, live with life partners. Like we wanted them to know that we were committed to each other, married and brought them into the world like on purpose um, and in a purposeful, like loving environment. So Jay actually said to me when we talked about having children, she goes, well, if you want to have children, we have to get married. And I'm like, wait, I thought we didn't want to get married. And she's like, we're not having kids if we're not married. So then I'm like, oh, now I have to save for a ring. I'm not even like, at this point, I'm a resident principal. So I'm making probably like $75,000 a year. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, we should get married. And before we have kids, we should like solidify um, kind of our union, even if it's just contractually. Because getting married doesn't like change how much you love someone. But I think it changes the kind of situation um, that your house is essentially built upon. So once we started wanting to have children, we knew that marriage, children, it was like the best next steps. It's interesting because while we probably had that conversation exactly the way that Rebecca just recounted it, I probably was like, yeah, but we're not going to have kids, you know. But so it was a very maybe casual conversation in a sense that, you know, just not thinking that it was going to happen. But, but then life happened, love happened. And so all, everything started to come into play. But as far as me wanting to spend the, the rest of my life with Rebecca, I think I experienced love differently with her than I had ever in my life. And I also approached love very differently with her than I ever had in my life. I was uh, completely an open book to her. I never, I've, I've told Rebecca one fib in the entire time, and I confessed very quickly. She knew anyway. I was very open and and just completely open with her, and I felt very safe 
being that vulnerable and being that open. And so having experienced that, I was like, well, you know, this is what I've always wanted. And I felt like I have found it. Yeah, a lot of times. not want that forever. Right. A lot of times you don't even consider marriage because with all your exes, you're like, oh, I would never marry you. <laughs> but then when you find someone, you're like, oh, I would marry you. And I think the light bulb went out went off for both of us off on the light bulb came on, on. <laughs> like, did it go off or did when it we met on? each other i was kind of like oh okay i would marry you like you're someone that i could spend the rest of my life with and like be happy and like not like force myself to be in a relationship or ignore major things in order to be in a relationship like with jay there was none of that um and i think it mattered that we were friends first because while we were um, dating and even in marriage, we're still friends and we have mutual friends. So like when we go out and hang out, we're just hanging out as friends. Like it's not like here I am and I brought my wife, like Rachel and Jay, my twin sister, they're friends. They were friends before we started dating. They were friends before uh, we got married. So it literally is like just spending, like hanging out with your like best friend all day, which is really a plus because sometimes in relationships it can be like, hanging out with your partner and these people are your friends, but because we're friends, um, there's no kind of like, no like kind of transition has to happen. I wanted kids um, because of that age difference. You know, there was a period where I attempted to have children and it did not happen. And I had actually just resolved with, I had come to peace with it. I had just said, that's not my lot. That's not what God has for me. And I may not like it. I may not, you know, it may hurt, but I had come to peace with God knows best. And so when Rebecca and I came together and fell in love, of course, now I'm even older. <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, um, just when I came to peace with it, I was like, really God? Okay, okay. I see, it's, you know, it's your timing, not my timing. And it really is a testimony to me that my faith in God and his plan for my life made this all possible. So it was kind of like a circle back and we started talking about it, like she said, immediately. We um, had some some bad experiences with some physicians that d just didn't treat us well. And we found who we were supposed to find. And uh, they had a very hopeful and very positive kind of plan for us. And we got pregnant on the first try and uh, pregnant with twins. And then later, you know, found out that it was a boy and a girl. And so it was fairly quickly. I mean, things moved very quickly after we got married. There was a lot of time in there. There were quite a few moments in that process though where we could have given up because there were a lot of like doors closed in our face. I think we just kept going because we knew that we wanted to be moms. Like we knew that we had something to offer like little ones. Like, and like we just kept going, kept going. And I think getting pregnant on the first try was significant. Um, Jay is a high-risk OB doc, so she comes home every day telling me stories about women who really, you know, have difficult time, difficult times getting pregnant. And our, I always tell Jay, like, our steps are, like, ordered perfectly. 
Like, yes, there were doors closed in our face, but literally once we got pregnant, we got pregnant the first time, I wanted twins so badly. Anyone who knows me, even one of my meals came to me and said, I remember when we first, when I first moved into this house, and that was when we were probably, we weren't even engaged yet. She came over and I was giving her a tour. And when I showed her my studio, I said, this is my studio, but eventually it's gonna be the nursery because we're gonna have twins. And she goes, how do you know you're gonna have twins? And I said, I just know, we want twins. So the fact that we even had twins the first time was really just a blessing um, and something that we both really, really wanted. And we really wanted a boy and a girl. Well, I wanted two boys. Yeah. Jay wanted a girl, so then I said, okay, at least one boy will be fine. <laughs> As, um, we went to our fertility doctors and the day of our in vitro was a snowstorm. And we were the only ones on the road, but we were gonna get there. <laughs> and we got there and they were there because they probably know how crazy, you know, and eager parents are to, you know, not miss that appointment. And we, drove in that snowstorm uh, and I was like I don't care get up come on let's go yeah it was it was on the first first go first go and when we uh, we had a wedding one of her best friends was getting married on Valentine's Day and which also ended up being Pax the snowstorm here and my OB said, before you go away, the wedding was in Mexico. Before you go away, I just want to do an ultrasound to make sure everything's okay. The pregnancy's in the right place. And she did the ultrasound and saw one baby, one sack. And I, that's what I do for a living. And so I read ultrasounds. And so when she's doing the ultrasound and I'm looking at the screen, I'm like, wait, go back. And I'm like, you sure you didn't see another sack? And she, you know, is scanning. And she goes, nope, there's just one. And I said, okay, Jay, and this, be the patient, be the patient. And so I was like, okay, it's just one. And she looked around again and I said, okay, it's just one. Fine, we're happy with the one. We're happy with that. And uh, so anyway, the snowstorm, we didn't go. We got snowed out of the wedding. One of her best friend's wedding it was terrible. And then we had some bleeding early in the pregnancy. Oh, no, 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 that's not what happened. I was feeling bad at work. And uh, because that's what I do all day, I had a sonographer. I said, listen, just, you know, take a look for me. There's a monitor up in front and she has her monitor. And uh, we're both looking at the screen and her head's turning and my head's turning like, there's two. And that, so I'm at work. Becky had sent me flowers that day and in the, card she referred to one baby one baby one baby and so I'm like how am I going to tell Becky that it's, it's two so I changed all the words in the card that she sent me to plural you know babies and you know whatever whatever and I'm racing home I work in Baltimore 45 minutes away I'm, I'm racing home she's here Rachel her twin sister is here and I'm like, okay, just don't go yet. They're going to play tennis. Just don't go, don't go yet. Right, and she's making me late. I'm like, okay, we're waiting, but the class is about to start. Yeah, and so I come up and I put the ultrasound picture behind the card. So she would read the card, open it, if she would have followed 
and she would see the two sacks. But she's so ready to go that she's like skimming it. And she's, you know, what was right. I didn't even understand all the cross outs. I'm like, what is this? Because I, I knew I sent her flowers. I'm like, why is she no- writing notes on the card? I literally didn't get it. So then she shows me the ultrasound, but I'm not a sonographer, so I don't know how to read ultrasounds. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, like what? And then then she showed me that there were two sacks and I literally just lost it. Like I was so, 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 so happy. Like I lost it. Yeah. But then that she whole went, thing she that she tried to, to do this. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't go over. It didn't go over. I'm like, I'm not a sonographer. I don't understand all these edits on it's, this card. It's one and then it's two. One, two, two. But anyway. Yeah, that was epic. That was epic. It was also epic that Rachel was there too. Yes, it was. That was epic. And then we actually went to go play tennis and I could not focus. I'm like... (laughs) When you were telling that story, I was like, oh, you didn't go play tennis after that, did you? She she left. We were at the top of the stairs and that's probably why she didn't, you know, things didn't register because she's already like, what do you want? I'm late for tennis. And uh, she just wasn't hitting but yeah they went right on out the door well the only reason well i said bam and stay here she kept telling me to go because i had convinced rachel to learn how to play tennis so the fact that she was there and going and we had paid for these private lessons blah 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 but i literally screamed to the top of my lungs for like 10 minutes (laughs) yeah it was a good day yeah that was epic from a fertility standpoint because you know there's both. There's the fertility and then moving on into the, the pregnancy part. From uh, the fertility standpoint, it is very, very difficult. And anyone who has, you know, gone through that kind of emotional roller coaster knows that, you know, every time it doesn't work, it is devastating. You know, it is just completely devastating. And, you know, you question so much about, you know, why not me? You know, why not? And I feel like, you know, I have all this to, to offer. What What's wrong with me that uh, you don't, you don't think so. And by that, I'm talking to, to God. And um, so there is a piece that has to come when it doesn't when, when it doesn't work and you've decided to stop trying and it's um it's not easy but when it comes it's okay you know you've you know you don't think about it as much and not as hurt by it um and you just figure that there are other things in store for you and um so with Becky coming into the picture it just opened up a new realm of possibilities for us and um, a new desire and a new kind of safety with moving forward. So our pregnancy also is perfect in a sense. We used uh, Rebecca's eggs and I carried. So it was really the, the both of us that created them, that grew them, that loved them before they were here. And I, I think that, that that was kind of what allowed that to happen. Our relationship made it safe to try again. Cause you, you know, if you, I hate to use this analogy, but if you touch a hot stove, you know, you just don't want to keep getting burned. So you're reluctant to, to touch that again, to go there again. But with her, I was okay to do that. Yeah. As far as the pregnancy part goes, that was hard for me and for her 
Because like she said, every day I'm going to work and it is my job. And oftentimes, I, most of the time I give people great news and that's wonderful. But there are times when I tell people tragic news. You know, I tell them that their baby's not developing correctly. I tell them that their pregnancy has not progressed like it should. I have to deliver the news about miscarriage or stillbirth or birth defects or a cervix that's opening up prematurely. I come home and naturally decompress to her, but it's different now because we're pregnant. And it's different for me because we're pregnant. And there was, you know, a few, it was like a couple of nights in a row where my patients were like a mirror. They were pregnant with twins. We were around the same time in the pregnancy. And one of the women, her cervix was opened up prematurely. And, you know, I'm counseling the doctors and the patient about, you know, how to move forward and what the chances are. And I knew that the chances were not good for these babies and, you know, what the tragedy was going to be for that family. And you can't help but turn the mirror around, you know. I bonded with this woman because, you know, she's coming to see me regularly and we're like, oh, I'm pregnant with twins too. And, you know, da 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 da. And uh, then she's going through that. And it, it didn't end well for them. And that's hard. And Becky was like, just stop telling me. And so then I had no one to tell it to. Yeah, I literally could. At a certain point, I couldn't hear the stories anymore. Just because I think, because I heard her stories for three years before we were pregnant, um, she was pregnant with too much content knowledge around the subject. And then I felt like I had too much content knowledge. So I'm like, listen, I, I can't hear the stories. Like I would like to be ignorant and just believe that this is perfect and that it's going to be perfect. Because before I started dating Jay, I didn't even know that women had all these complications during pregnancy. So. I told her to stop telling me the story so that I can go back to just being ignorant um, and just believing that people just get pregnant and they just have babies and nothing happens in between. So every time we had like a scare or we had bleeding or something like that, I was always kind of like, oh, it's nothing. That Nothing's going to happen. They're fine. I'm dying. And Jay I'm is like, like, I'm like beside myself. And I'm like, it's nothing. Trust me, it's nothing. And it ended up every time being nothing. But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be the person that she decompressed to. Like one time when we were 19 weeks, she was telling me about this other woman who was 19 weeks. And I was sitting on the other side of the bed, like, oh God, like, I can't, I can't hear these stories. I listen to them now <laughs> that we're no longer <laughs> pregnant. But during that time, her job, it just really played a very interesting role. I mean, granted it had a lot of benefits too, because if we ever had a scare, we never had to wait for an appointment. She'd just yeah. go to work and we have upstairs in our room, like 1000 ultrasound pictures. So we knew on a daily basis what was happening, but it was kind of like a gift and a curse. We had two or three episodes of significant bleeding in the first trimester. And which can, which can symbolize like a miscarriage. Right, exactly. And so, you know, I'm in my mind, cognitively saying to myself, this is very common, Jay, this, this happens. You know, there's implantation, bleeding, very normal. You know, this happens. This is what you tell your patients. And, you know, but 
it, you know, it just seemed like it, no, it didn't seem, it was a lot. And I was like, okay, this isn't normal. This isn't right. This isn't good. And, you know, we tell women that, okay, bleeding is common, but if you have cramping, that's something to be more concerned about. So then of course I'm like, okay, am I cramping? Do right. I feel cramping? Then you feel something and like, then all of a sudden I'm like, I think I might be cramping, you know, and I'm, all of these thoughts are racing through your head and you just, you know, you don't, you don't know. Yeah. And I mean, and from my perspective, I'm still like ignorant because I've never, you know, gone through a pregnancy or experienced a miscarriage or anything like that. So when Jay was um, calling me to tell me that she um, was bleeding, the first thing I thought, like, I didn't feel anything like personally about it because I'm still just young and dumb. But the first thing I thought was this can't happen to Jay. Like I wanted, I actually wanted it so badly for her that when she was bleeding, I'm like, okay, everything has to be fine. It's going to be fine because this cannot happen. So the next day in a snowstorm, we went to our <laughs> doctor. Snow? <laughs> That's probably why Evan and Ian can't let go of Christmas. Yeah. Um, we went to our doctor and of course everything was fine. And then that happened again, like a month later. Yes. And, and then the, the last scare well, no, that wasn't the last. But the next one was we, you know, thought that our water broke. And I was like, I'm just going to bed. I can't even. We were about to go to bed. I was like, I'm just going to sleep. I'll have a look in the morning. Perks of, you know, <laughs> being a high risk doctor. And I went in and the same sonographer that scanned and, you know, revealed that it was twins. She was beside herself because she's like, why did you wait until now to, why didn't you go to the doctor? I said, because, you know, we could just take a look now. And everything was fine. I was like, okay, all right. And then I started seeing patients, but that, that is how it went right before patients. I'm like, can you just take a look for me? And then I'm calling her every five seconds. Like, did she look, did she look, did she look? Feeling like a crazy woman. At one point I was like, can you just bring home one of those machines so we could just look? <laughs> this is insane. The last thing was weeks, months later, I think we were 28 weeks and I just had a pain that wouldn't go away. I was like, gosh, wait, you know, I'm just uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know why. I Is that thought, when we went to the hospital? Mm-hmm. And uh, she was ready to call the doctor, but I was like, oh, no, don't call the doctor. I'm fine. Let me just, you know, let me go to the bathroom. Let me just chill out for a second. While I'm in the bathroom, I hear her saying, yes, this is Mrs. Crouch Pelham. Um, my wife is having pain and da, da 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 And I'm like in the bathroom, like I told her not to call. And next thing I know, I'm coming out the bathroom. She's like, oh yeah, we're going to the hospital. So anyway, it turns out we were just dehydrated. We were having contractions, but it wasn't labor. So we got IV and came back home. And that was it until... 36 weeks and two days. I'm home at this point. And again, I just had this pain. It was weird. Nothing that, you know, behind my, it was behind my shoulder. Nothing that related to anything medically that I knew about. But I was like, let me just go up to Wegmans and check my blood, sugar, uh, blood pressure. Why I thought a pain in my back related to blood pressure, I don't know, but I did. And so I went and uh, it was very high. So we were 36 weeks in two days. And I'm like, oh, okay. In Wegmans, press the button again. I'm like, well, that can't be right. I'm just, you know, huffing and puffing. And it was higher the second time. I was like, oh, 
well, that's not normal. And so I'm calling, I'm call her on the way home. I'm like, listen, call the doctor and tell them this. And I'm getting my stuff together and you should probably come home. They're going to tell you that we need to go to the hospital. And I'll let you go ahead and say what you call them. <laughs> so I called the doctor, described what was happening. They said, come in. I'm already in my car rushing home. I left my leadership team meeting. Get home, we go to the doctor, the blood pressure is still through the roof. Um, so the doctor gives us two options. She says, you guys can stay or you can go home. So Jay says, we're not going home. And in that moment, I realized the luxury of being in that room with someone else who was in that field, because I felt like if I were there by myself, I would have just got sent home. Well, they shouldn't have sent you home either. <laughs> if, if that happened, I didn't know why there was an option. I was like, no. Yeah, Jay said we're not, not going home. So we ended up being admitted to the hospital and like two and a half days later. So it was very anticlimactic, nothing like television. <laughs> So the whole time I'm texting my sister and on the phone, I'm like, I'm just waiting for like the TV scene. Like, I'm just, it's so boring. I'm just sitting here waiting, nothing's happening. And literally at like three or something in the morning, doctors come like running in the room with like scrubs. They're like, put this on. And people are running from everywhere. And then we start speeding down the hall with Jay, of course. <laughs> not just me, um, with Jay. And we go into this room and they're like, we need to do an emergency C-section because Ian's um, heart rate was slowing down. Now, I always told Jay that us, when I, babies being deprived of oxygen creeped me out because I know what can happen in the event that it's not like caught very early. Um, so when the doctor came in and said she thought Ian might like be losing oxygen, I literally was like, okay, enough of this pushing like we have to go um so literally like five seconds later we got our tv scene the people you were got running your tv scene like, i was not asking for. i one. got my tv scene people were running from everywhere like we were rushed into this room they picked her up and put her on this table and within moments they were here i heard one baby cry and i'm texting rachel the whole time i'm like i just heard a baby cry so then rachel was like what about the other one <laughs> and i'm like okay now the other one's crying and they, so then Jay starts like losing blood. So they come to get me and said, you come be with your babies. So I go next door and there are two babies there crying. And I'm like, oh my God, what is, like, they're here. It was like a outer body experience really. Um, and then they were there trying to stop Jay from bleeding. I didn't know that until afterwards. I didn't know that she was in like a little trouble. Um, so she ended up kind of, getting stable and then they took the babies to see her and we went and sat in the room with all the babies and I'm like holding them and taking pictures and nervous and scared and just feeling a range of emotions but she was not able to like participate because whatever medicine they gave her she was like shaking and cold um so I'm just sitting there like with the doctor and these two babies and I'm like now what <laughs> Like, can we get some people at the lobby to come in here with me? Something. I'm just sitting here. But it was amazing. It really was. It was absolutely amazing. I think it changed a little for me because when you're dating someone, there's always like an exit. But when you're married, it's like, okay, we're going to be together for the rest of our lives. Like all of those arguments that were super huge before are actually very small now because we're going to be together for the rest of our lives. So why ignore each other for three days? Like that's just three wasted days of 
kind of dissension when you know that we eventually have to get over it. But I feel like when you're dating, you can ignore each other for three days and then it could turn into six and then 12 and then 18 and now you're just not together anymore. Being married, I realized that we kind of nip things in the bud right away. So we don't like waste time, like not being happy because there's really no point to it. That doesn't happen automatically though. That was a process that we had to, because it's not like you just get that knowledge. Well, at least I didn't automatically. Like you were not married on June 28th and you, you know, you're okay with ignoring each other or letting the argument play out longer than it should. And then on the 29th, we're, you know, married. It's, you know, you have to, your old selves have to die and then you evolve into a wife, you evolve into the, the marriage. I don't think that it happens overnight, but then you start to come to the realizations that, you know, Becky was just talking about, like, you know, really we're in this house, we're, we're here, we're, we're married, we, you know, we're going to work it out. We're going to figure it out. So we really want to be miserable because I'm miserable when we're not, you know, talking or when there's um, dissension. Um, it's a miserable thing. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to be miserable. Yeah. And it's not, for me, it's not worth it. So that was the biggest thing that changed for me. So we're exact opposites. So I forgive quickly. Um, she doesn't apologize quickly. She likes to receive apologies quickly, <laughs> but she does not apologize quickly. She she does forgive quickly. I don't. Yeah, Jaden needs like processing time. Whereas me, I'm just kind of like, okay, this happened. We talked about it. But let's get over it and not talk about it again. Where Jay is like, oh, I need time to like think about it and process. Which actually, while we were dating, was like a point of like contention almost because our processing times were so different. I think now we've kind of learned to meet each other in the middle. Like, okay, I know Jay needs time. And she knows that I don't need time. So like, where's that middle ground where both of us are, are kind of like honored in like the um, healing process, um, which is also another process um, in like learning and getting to know each other and getting to know like what makes the other person tick, what makes the other person feel like uh, they can like come to the table. So that was also something that we definitely had to kind of like grow into. And unless you are intentional about doing that, it kind of does not just happen. You have to actually like, intentionally like have those conversations and plan for that you have to humble yourself um you have to put your pride aside um and you do have to look big picture like you know really is that thing worth whatever discourse is is causing and most of the time it's not when you think about who you've chosen to be with forever you know there are not too many things that are more important than that Having children was actually the thing that really changed our relationship. Because before kids, we were just like flowing, like just kicking it, like hanging out, best friends, partying. And um, we didn't have any responsibilities that were that large. So I think in the beginning, and you can talk about being pregnant. I'm going to talk about once they actually got here. But once they actually got here, it was very difficult because we were no longer in relation with each other. We were in relationship with two babies. 
which created like a gap and a chasm between us because now we're not married, we're moms. So the twins were coming first, you know, their needs, you know, came before our needs. And then you're so exhausted after having two newborns that you actually don't have like the energy to even engage with each other because the little energy that you have, you want to like save up so that you don't just pass out and just completely give up on life. So I think that shift for us was huge. So we've just recently, and the twins are two and a half, we've just recently started having more and more conversations about like dating again and being married again. And now they're independent. Well, sort of independent. They're more independent than they were in the past. So it's easier for us to kind of be in relation with each other first. And then their needs come after our relationship is right. And it's easier to get babysitters. Asking someone to babysit two one-year-olds is not the same as asking someone to babysit two two-and-a-half-year-olds. So with that, we're able to like go out and be with just the two of us and our friends versus, you know, the four of us all out, which you're still a mom. Like if they're in the room, we can't turn that off. So it did take like there was a very rocky patch um, when they were first here because it was like a shock to like our system, like a shock to our routine. Uh, yeah, I think that there was, you know, we just had different experiences and different lenses during that time. And while we were in the same room with the same babies, the same house, we were experiencing it differently, I think. I don't know how to really explain that in any more detail, but our experiences just weren't matching up and it did cause tension between us. And there was a really, you know, rough time. And I think for a large part of that first year, it was almost like we were, we had separate lives. So we process things a little differently too. So like we could be in the same room and Jay is feeding the babies and her experience with that is completely different than what I'm experiencing, especially since I've never, um, you know, have been a mom before. It was new for both of us for the first time. So we're kind of like making it up as we go. So not knowing really what to experience or what to feel, how to support and do all of those things created a gap because Jay knew there were ways that she wanted to feel supported. And then I knew there were ways that I wanted to support. So for instance, here goes a very corny example. When she was pregnant, she was complaining about her um, back hurting and not being able to sleep. So my response to that is to buy one of those little things that holds your belly up while you're like walking and like this pillow that's like the length of your body so that she can have like more comfort while she's sleeping. Jay wanted my response to be like staying up with her and like rubbing her back and doing things of that nature. So while I'm thinking I'm meeting a need, she's, she's viewing it as a need not being met, but mostly because we're trying to meet the same need in two different ways. So my brain automatically goes to, okay, what can I do to make her more comfortable? And her brain goes, she just wanted me like to be there and kind of like sit next to her and maybe give her back rubs and stuff like that. But I thought buying the little corny, the cheesy pregnancy stuff that no one ever uses. Now that I'm a mom, I know that. But then I'm like, oh, this looks cool. This can hold her belly up so she's comfortable. So I think we just experienced a lot of that. 
if we had to do it all over again, I don't think we would because now we know better. Um, but having done it for the first time and then the first time with twins, I think we just didn't know enough about what the other person needed during that experience. Well said. That's a good example. <laughs> you know, Becky, I have committed murder many times with my eyes um, <laughs> while she was sleeping because, you know, I'm up, I can't sleep and she is sleeping like a baby. And I'm just like, you know, I really kind of felt like I interpreted it as, you know, she didn't care what I was going through. You know, she was very happy to just get her sleep. If she could, you know, sleep, it was fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it was that. I really just, sometimes I didn't have an answer. She would want, you know, an answer like. Yeah, what, I was like, what, like, do, what do you need? need? What do you need? And then sometimes I'm like, I don't know what I need, but just be here with me. Just be here with me. Um, and, you know, I don't know. Which was difficult for me because I'm a very, um, even in our relationship outside of pregnancy, like if Jay comes home from work and she says she's upset, I'm like, what happened? She says this, this, and other stuff happened. And I'm like, oh, so tomorrow this needs to happen. And then you could do this, you could do this, you could do this. And she's like, I don't need you always to come up with a solution. Sometimes I just need you to listen. Um, and my brain immediately goes to, oh, okay, we can fix that. That's simple. We'll do A, B, and C. Um, and it was the same thing for pregnancy. Like I wasn't up at night, but like at work all day, I'm Googling like things to make her more comfortable, which is not, well, now I know, which is not necessarily what she needed. It's what I thought, it's what I thought she needed. I adjusted slightly because of her feedback. But I still am very like a, a straight shooter. Like you tell me what the problem is, I'll find a solution. But now that I know that she prefers me not to be so up and out because as it relates to like finding solutions, I try to just like listen. And like, if she wants to like say bad things about the people at work, and then I'll say bad things about them too. But <laughs> you know when someone's venting, they don't always want your opinion about how you can fix the problem. They just want, you know, an ear. So I try more now to be like an ear before I would try. I listen to like solve, but now I kind of just like try to listen. I know that I have changed to or evolved, so to speak, because of how we process things differently. So knowing that she does not, you know, we process differently. I think that I don't have as much of a demand on her as maybe I had in the past. And I recognize, I think the gestures now more of, okay, you know, when she does this, that is her trying to help me through this. Or when she does um, that, even though that might not have been on my radar, that is the way that she processed the problem, the way that she's trying to help me. So I think I try to recognize more how she expresses that 